Good morning. Why don't I open us in prayer? Father, we give you thanks for the day. We are grateful that it's a, um, a beautiful morning out, and we're going to, I'm sure, experience uh, some fun as families this afternoon. Thank you for the way you designed us for relationship, and we're not created to be alone. And um, we look forward to our time together as we continue in a pretty neat series on uh, the church life in Corinth. And uh, we just ask that you already start to prepare us through our, our, uh, our thoughts and our, our worship as we think about um, how to live a life pleasing to you. And we just uh, look forward to a time of encouragement and strengthening in our faith and our resolve as we walk out of here. Because the world has a strong message and uh, takes everything um, in the renewing of our minds to fight that message. And so we're here to uh, think like you and to have the heart of you. So we pray for your guidance this morning. Amen. Okay, everyone's found 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, please turn to uh, verse 12. 12, 12. <laughs> there you go. No, that sounds confusing, but 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Let's stand and read. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I, do, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less the part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he's desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head of the feet. I, ha I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no divisions in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are not all apostles, are they? Are, all, are not prophets, are they? Are all not teachers, are they? All Are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and that will show you a more excellent way. Please be seated. With the Spirit's help, hopefully I can show you in a more excellent way today. <laughs> this is an easy passage in some ways and hard in others. So, before we dive in, though, I want to remind you of where we left off last week and what we covered so that you can rediscover the context. Because you notice we're starting in verse 12. Last week I did verses 1 to 11. And so the heart of the issue last week was that the Corinthians had a misunderstanding surrounding the purpose and use of spiritual gifts. 
And there was two main issues. Number one, they had ranked the gifts in some kind of hierarchical system of superiority. So at the top of the list, surprise, surprise, was the speaking of tongues, followed second by prophecy. For them, these were signs of superior spiritual status. And that created major problems in the church because it created divisions. As they would walk around and say, like, I wear this badge that says I can speak in tongues and you don't have it. It created divisions as people felt inferior. It also created disorderly worship because people were speaking in tongues and prophesying during the services and interrupting one another. And so one would start to speak and another one would stand up and interrupt them and there'd be no flow and they couldn't get anything accomplished. As a result, too, it was creating problems with the unbelieving world who were listening who thought the church was mad. The second problem was they had failed to recognize what the gifts were for. They saw them as spiritual badges, uh, badges of honor, that they've arrived at some kind of superior spiritual state. And they thought they were for themselves. And Paul comes around and says, no, the spiritual gifts are for the common good of the church. They're for others. And I use the illustration of a towel versus a badge. A towel seeks to serve. A badge says, look at me. And so spiritual gifts are to be used for service to help one another in their growth and to build the body of Christ up. So the key corrective from last week was that, he was, it was that Paul wanted to stop the Corinthians from overemphasizing the gift of tongues over others and prophecy, the speaking gifts, and recognize that the Holy Spirit had given a diversity of gifts for the common good of the church, not just one singular gift. And this diversity, of course, was rooted in the very nature of God who himself was unified, one being, and yet diverse, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, expressed in his personhood. So as we dive into today's sermon, Paul continues with this theme. But he's going to do it in a unique way by using the human body as an illustration of how diversity and not uniformity in gifts was God's intention for his church in order for it to function well. So in verse 12 through 14, Paul begins by reminding them of how they became unified in the first place as a body of Christ. He speaks to their conversion experience. He says, for even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so is also Christ. Or it should be translated Christ's body. Okay? Those who have NLT will say it that way. Uh, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. I want to just discuss two important observations from this text. First is how the Corinthians became part of the body. How? Notice he says you were all baptized into one body by the spirit. So baptism of the spirit. Number two, you were given the spirit to drink. Baptized and drinking of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to clear up what he's not saying. He's not referring here with the water analogies and the baptism analogies to a reference to water baptism. That's not what he's saying here. You don't become the body of, part of the body of Christ. You don't become the body of Christ through baptism. That's not the New Testament teaching. That is the sign that you belong to the body of Christ, but that's not how you enter into the body of Christ. Number two, some people are Christian brothers and sisters who are charismatic, highly charismatic, often teach this as a baptism of the Spirit is this second blessing. So there's the conversion experience, 
of receiving Christ, and then later on you're baptized by the Spirit, like this extra measure of blessing or power. This is clearly not what Paul is saying either, based on the text. Both the reference to um, um, baptism and drinking of the Spirit in the New Testament is always in relationship to repentance and the offer of forgiveness. I'll say that again. Baptism of the Spirit is never used in any other way but to refer to repentance and forgiveness of sin. Look at what the scriptures say. Acts eleven fifteen to 18. This is Peter speaking. The Gentiles have just received Christ as their Savior. Listen to this. As it began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning, us being the Jews, right? So Jews first, Gentiles second. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Important distinction there. Water baptism, spirit baptism. He already makes a distinction on the two. Okay? So that can't be water in this text. Next. Therefore, if God gave to them the gift, the same gift, the spirit, as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? How did they receive the spirit? By believing in Christ. This is a reference to conversion. Then he says this. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, then God has granted us to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. How is baptism of the Spirit used by the Apostle Peter? It's referred to believing in the Lord Jesus and repenting that leads to life. That is the baptism of the Spirit that the New Testament speaks about. What about drinking of the Spirit? <laughs> how, do, what, how does the Bible say about that? Well, the New Testament pattern... It's always this. It always talks about drinking and pouring and all these uh, water analogies or references in regards to the Spirit as conversion as well. I want to just show you two. Acts 10.45, this is the section before Acts 11 that was speaking about the same people. All the circumcised believers, so Jews, who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. So poured out, that's a, that's a water analogy. Here, he has a drinking analogy in, in Romans, or in uh, 1 Corinthians. Now look at Titus 3, 4, 6. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Lord, our, our Savior. You understand? To be washed with the Spirit is to be converted to God, is to receive Jesus Christ. For the Spirit to be poured upon you is a sign of forgiveness and a relationship with God. To drink of the Spirit is the same thing. All the same analogies. It's all water, water. Because what does water symbolize? Cleansing. It's a way of saying you've been cleansed of your impurities, but the sinful impurities. So it's awesome, right? So now we understand that the baptism of the Spirit here is these. And I say this. I say this intentionally because, again, of our brothers and sisters who are highly charismatic, who talk about these second blessings, and they say, have you been baptized by the Spirit? Here's what you answer from now on. Yes, I've received Jesus as my Savior. Okay? Perfect. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> so next thing. How did, they become, how did they become believers? They were baptized by the Spirit. Who became believers? Who were the people that became part of the body of Christ? I love this. He says, he says, 
the, one, the Jews and Greeks, and slaves are free. You know what Paul's doing here? He's actually saying this. The body of Christ is made up of diverse people. We're one body under the banner of Lord Jesus through the, through the washing of the Holy Spirit. But we're, we're, dis, we're, we're diverse. We've got Jews, we've got Greeks, we've got slaves, we've got free. Let's put it in modern day terms. What are the diversities? There's ethnic distinctions. Ethnic distinctions. So, you know, Canadian, Scottish, English, Indian, Irish, Afghanistan, Afghani, whatever. They're ethnic distinctions. How about those of social status? He says, slaves are free. Don't think of a transatlantic slave uh, trade when you hear slaves in the Bible. It's always in reference to um, employer-employee relationships. I did a sermon on that as well. So we're not talking about uh, the slavery that Hollywood portrays. We're talking about employer-employee. So you're, you're a slave. You're, you're under the, the, uh, you're the employee of a, of a master and you live in their home type thing. Versus being free, you're not under the master's authority living in their home on a constant basis. So we've got, we've got ethnic distinctions, social distinctions. And so Paul's saying this, you know, uh, there's vast differences in the body of Christ. There's huge diversity in the body of Christ. But there's, we're all under the lordship of Jesus and his unifying work in the spirit. We're one church, but many different members. And we're all necessary for the body to function. The problem with the Corinthians is they fail to see how this unity in the spirit and their diversity and who belongs to the church applied to the same thing in relation to spiritual gifts. <laughs> they fail to see the transition in spiritual gifts. And so Paul sought to address this issue. And he had to talk to two different people in the church. They kind of two camps. One, those who felt they were inferior because they didn't have the showy gifts like tongues and prophecy. And those who felt they were superior because they did have those gifts. And so he uses the body analogy to speak to both groups of people. Before we get into the who was inferior and superior and what, what he says, I wanted to say one thing about modern day times. We look at Paul's correction about how to deal with uh, diversity and to become one as a people. Isn't that the world's message right now? trying so hard that all of us like just get along and have give peace a chance and and like why can't we just sort of like make everyone just love one another and then and this whole thing about ethnic diversity and this just so-called uh, huge discrepancy in social status between certain people and economic levels and so on they're trying so hard to fight this where we have social justice warriors right now that push equality like crazy but you know what? They're never, ever going to accomplish it. Ever. You know why? They're missing two things that Paul addresses here. Number one, well, actually, well, actually he'll address it sort of like more later, but number one is this. They, they're trying to accomplish it by pursuing justice and not mercy. You're not going to solve the world's problems by pursuing justice because you believe your way is right. And that for the sake of getting justice for your group, you give injustice to another. You're going to, it's going to be solved through mercy, offering forgiveness to the group that hurt you. 
and seeking that not to let you affect you relationally going forward. Number two, they're trying to do it apart from God. <laughs> You're never going to do this apart from God. You're not going to have your heart changed by Jesus Christ. So you're never going to go his way, which will be to give mercy to one another. They're not going to do it. So you can form all the committees you want. They're not going to do it. So let's look at who we spoke to now regarding the inferiority complex in the church. This is 14 through 20. Paul says this, you know, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, would it be, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The NSB is so difficult to understand. I, I recommend the NLT when reading through this on your own terms. I had to go to the NLT frequently to make sense of this stuff. <laughs> anyway, what Paul's doing here, though, is pretty simple. He's personifying body parts as if they could talk to one another, right? And in personifying the body parts, he is really addressing those who felt like they didn't belong. The outsiders in Corinth, because they didn't possess the gifts that were championed there, tongues and prophecy. Perhaps they had the gifts of verse 28, See that little sneaker in there at things of the age? They had the gift of helps, verse 28. They had the quiet, unnoticed gift, right? And so they felt inferior because compared to the person who could speak and prophesy in church, I mean, that was Mickey Mouse, at least in their estimation. So they felt like the foot that would say to the hand, because I'm not you, I'm not part of the body. And so Paul corrects this. And he says this, just because you recognize that you're um, you're not the same as others, and you have a different function, that doesn't make you less part of the body. In fact, you're necessary to the body. At the same time, he said this, if you uh, are all parts of the same body, you understand how you're gonna be missing out on some pretty important bodily experiences? How would you smell if you all were a nose? How would you hear if you're all were ears? In basically in 19, he says, if you're all one member, where would the body be? In other words, if you're all one body part, there is no body. Good luck playing the hokey pokey or playing Twister, right? <laughs> There's Laura, one giant ear with a little mouth laying on the floor. And, you know, put your left foot in, take your right foot out. And we look over at Laura and go, why aren't you playing? And she's like, yeah, very funny, guys, right? She can't, she can't function like the rest of us playing the hokey pokey. If everybody, the Corinthian attitude is this, if we all seek the spiritual gifts that are the same and that are the superior ones, we're going to be a healthy church. It's going to be a sign of spiritual uh, arrival. Paul says, it's a disaster. It's a spiritual disaster if you all have the same gifts. But it gets better. He encourages those with, who, in, who are, have, feel inferior by reminding them who gave them the gift in the first place. Look at verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body as he desired. <laughs> the individual doesn't decide who gets the gifts. The Lord does. Again, we spoke about this next, last week. Nothing to do with education. Nothing to do with maturity. How long you've been a Christian. Your knowledge of the gifts. 
God gives them as he puts them together as he sees fit. If you like to mark up your Bibles, this is a theme that he says five times in chapter 12. He tells the Corinthians five times, God gives them to you. God gives them to you. Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Verse 11, he distributes these things as he wills. Verse 18, now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body as he desired. Verse 24, but God has composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacks. And verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles and so on. You get the drift? God made the human body, knows exactly what he's doing. God who gives you the spiritual gifts knows exactly what he's doing. He made the body of Christ. There is no body of Christ without Jesus Christ going on the cross and dying for us and receiving his spirit. The same spirit who gives us the gifts. <laughs> so let's look at Paul's word to those, Paul's word to those who deem themselves to be superior because of the gifts they possessed. In verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and the members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we store more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacks, so that there be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Please read NLT in that section to get what he's saying. But I'll do it, I'll summarize it in, in the modern day English here. Again, Paul is clearly personifying certain parts of the body by saying, I have no need of you, which of course was a reference to those within Corinth that saw themselves as possessing the most important gifts, the gifts that were badges of honor. But what's cool is how he used the body to bring them off their pedestal. See, he contrasted parts of the body which were visible and noticeable in verse 21, the eye and the head, two body parts that are visible that everyone could then turn to the other body parts and say, I don't need you because they're visible and sort of prominent. And then he contrasts that with body parts that are basically invisible to the human eye or as he deems weaker, less honorable, or less presentable. Now, these body parts in my studies were really helpful to understand what they were talking about. Paul's referring to uh, many of the internal organs and even the genital areas when he talks about less presentable and less honorable. Now, here's what's important about that. He says, you might say to this person, I don't need you, but how you even take care of your own body you actually honor those parts and seek to protect and clothe those parts. You make them presentable by the way you dress. NLT, actually, I think it's NLT or NIV, actually says clothed, clothed with modesty. So this is really cool because he says this, you don't even seek to discard or leave your own body parts unprotected that you know are less honorable. In fact, you do the very opposite. You seek to provide them with honor and to clothe them appropriately. And unless, you're, <laughs> unless you accidentally end up on the nude beach, like I did in Vancouver last year while going to Regent College, everyone I know who makes it to the beach 
intends to wear a bathing suit and usually does pretty well at remembering that. Okay? We all succeed at showing honor to the least presentable parts. We do it very well. And Paul's drawing an analogy saying, do that for the body of Christ. There should be nobody in the church devaluing one another or declaring themselves to be of no worth or others of no worth when their spiritual gifts differ. They're not to be a source of division. They're to use the gifts we have to seek to care for one another and do everything to protect one another and draws it together and not split us apart. I want to read you a comment from uh, Martin, D.B. Martin. Paul's use of body imagery is is at variance with the usual use of such imagery. Instead of using it to support an existing social hierarchy where the lesser members of society serve the greater, which is typical, right? That's the world. Paul uses it to relativize the sense of self-importance of those higher status, making them see the importance and necessity of the weaker, lower status Corinthian Christians. Paul questions the usual linking of high social status and honor by saying that God gives more honor to the less presentable members. To quote another theologian, oh, actually, I'll wait to that. Oh, actually, I'll wait to later on for this. <laughs> so, why is this so important? Verse 26. Because if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's true of the physical body, isn't it? How, how good do you feel in your body when you have a toothache? How good do you feel in your overall well-being when you've got that hangnail or that sliver in your finger that, or you banged your, hand with a, your thumb with a hammer and it's throbbing? It's the same analogy for the body of Christ. This to be applied to the spiritual family. When one suffers, the whole thing is affected. But when one has a celebration, we are all excited. In my experience of being your pastor, in eight years of uh, running Genesis House, I've shed more tears and have more uh, joy than in 20 years of being a personal trainer. Shed more tears, but also had more joy being part of your lives. Because when you have successes, I get fired up and fueled up for you. But when you hurt, it leaves me distressed as well. But Paul's saying this should be the reality of all of you in the way we look at one another. To quote uh, one great theologian, my mother, (laughs) who I hope was online, she used to say this to me when I was a kid. She goes, Andrew, happiness shared is happiness doubled. Misery shared is misery halved. And that's what Paul said in verse 26. So Paul's given a word of encouragement to those inferior, a word of caution to those who who are superior in in the way they deem themselves. So now he returns in the final verses to the need for diversity and not uniformity in gifts and ministries in the church. In verse 27, he says this, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Couple points on this list here. First, this is a very different list in ranking of spiritual gifts that we saw last week in verses eight through ten. 
Yes, we saw last week um, in verses 8 through 10, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of healings and miracles. But we didn't see helps and we didn't see administrations. But most importantly, or just as important, I should say, we never saw anything to do with apostles, prophets, or teachers. So it's a, it's a, it's a noticeable difference in the list. Now, we don't know why Paul ranked them. There's some suggestions as to why, but he doesn't tell us. But ranking here is not as important as the role they play, as the role they play, especially in terms of the people. See, in all of those positions of prophets, um, apostles, and teachers, what their role is within the body of Christ is the responsibility of proclaiming the word of God. They're proclaiming the word of God. And what's the goal? Well, to build up the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, when it speaks about the exact same people, the apostles, teachers, and, and the prophets, he says this, God's put them in place to equip his people for works of service so that, so that the body of Christ may be built up, have the unity of faith, and gain knowledge of Jesus Christ to become mature like him. That's the purpose of these people and why he puts these gifted people in his body. To build up the body of Christ. And why does he include them? I believe it's to drive home the point he's been making all sermon. To take the Corinthians off a singular emphasis that one or two gifts are really important. And to say, listen, it's not just the manifestational gifts, the ones that are like demonstrative that are important. It's important in terms of the people too. And the positions of honor they hold in the church and what they offer you. And those who offer helps and can do administrative type tasks, they're important too. Yeah, they're not as demonstrative in the way they come about things and, and uh, they may sort of go about the business quietly, but they're important. They're important. God gave not only supernatural abilities to his church, but persons as gifts to the community. But again, he highlights in verse 28 that it's God who's responsible for the diversity. For them to seek uniformity in gifts is to stand in opposition to the Lord. You see that? If, if God gives apostles and teachers and helps in administration, and then you're preaching, it's all about the gift of tongues. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? Because you'll speak in tongues. They're standing in opposition to God because he gave them all these gifts. And this is only one list of four in the Bible, and none of them match. They're all different. Super important. And so Paul ends with rhetorical questions to them then, which are obvious answers. No, 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 <laughs> right? To fix the Corinthian problem. He says, are all, are all apostles? The Corinthians have to say no. Are all prophets? They have to say no. Are all teachers? They have to say no. Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Can all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And they say, no, 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 no. And Paul goes, do you get it, Corinth? Super cool. But then he ends with a strange verse. Laurel, this is for you. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. What? Paul, you're going backwards. You just said that everything here is about equality and same and value and there's nothing above another. And now you're saying seek the greater spiritual gifts. What are you doing? Ready for my big answer? I don't know. But I have two options and they're the only ones that I see viable. So when I, and I'm actually 
I'm going to land in the second one, even though I want the first one to be right. Okay? Option one. Option one. This all has to do with Greek grammar. In your Bibles, you'll often have words, and you'll notice that some things are in italics. So you'll be reading, reading, reading as a word in italic. That's because those italic words weren't originally part of the original Greek manuscripts. But because Greek grammar is different than English grammar, the, when people have done the understanding of the verbs and the adjectives and how they fit, they've added English words to help the transition of sentences. We all, every language in the world has rules, right? French uh, has different grammatical rules. Uh, English has different grammatical rules. Greek has grammar rules. And so when you see italics in your Bible, it's an addition to the original text, but they flow obviously really well. So when they, when, they, when they read this, the original intent of the Greek grammar, the way the verbs point, was that Paul was not giving a command to seek greater gifts. He was actually saying this, the problem is you are seeking earnestly the, the gifts in the wrong way. So you are seeking the gifts wrongly. And you know what's interesting? I started thinking, the days before that, in my sleep, or in my bed, actually, I was laying down going, I wonder if that's what's going on here. And then I read this, which was kind of cool. And then I went to Eugene Peterson in the message, and he thinks that he, he's a scholar who believes it's to be interpreted this way. He's saying, you, you Corinthians are going after the gifts wrongly. So listen to the message by Eugene Peterson. And yet some of you keep competing for so-called important gifts. But now I want you to lay out a far better way for you. And that's how Eugene Peterson sees this verse. I want it so badly to say that because that just eliminates everything for me. But I have to be true to the Bible. There's two major problems with that. Turn to 14.1. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, right? And then look at 14.39. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. The issue here is that desiring earnestly in both places is the same verb form as he says in seek the Greek gifts. So the problem for this text then becomes this, is that, yes, it sounds that that's the way it could go, but in these two verses, the Greek grammar is the same. And in those 14, 1 and 39, it's actually a positive statement about pursuing gifts, not a negative one. He's saying, you go for those. You go for those. Here then, he's using it in a negative term. So anyway, that's one option. You got to think about that. You think that through. John MacArthur, if you listen to him, he preaches it that way as well, by the way. For those of you who listen to him, because I know some of you do. Option two, as we're going to see in chapter 14, repeatedly, there are what Paul calls greater gifts in the, in the later on. And are those that are build up the body of Christ. Those that are intelligible versus unintelligible. What do I mean by that? Intelligible, you can understand them. Versus unintelligible, you can't understand them. And there's only one gift in the Bible, or in the whole list, that's unintelligible. Tongues. Unless there's an interpreter. When there's an interpreter, Paul speaks favorably of it, because that builds up the body of Christ. And, this, and so here's where this may fit well. What is Paul's singular concern, or one of his major concerns through the whole chapter? The misuse of tongues 
in the church. And so when he says, seek the greater gifts, he's actually saying, go after those which edify the body. Go after those which edify the body. But regardless of which one is right, Paul is going to tell us in chapter 12 that there's still a more excellent way. And that's next week's sermon. (laughs) Amen. Oh, you know what? I better do the lessons. All right, so what can we pick up from this? Number one, the New Testament understanding of being baptized by the Spirit has nothing to do with water baptism or a second blessing, but repentance and the forgiveness of sin. Got it? So important. I learned this this week. I mean, I've heard the word baptized by the Spirit, but because of how it's been misused, I've always put my head in a certain place. But when I look up the, the Bible's references, the baptism is always in reference to repentance, receiving Christ as your Savior. That's cool. It helps going to help me now in terms of articulating my language with my fellow Christians. Number two, although spiritual gifts will function differently within the church, they are equally valued within the body of Christ. You know, you can't say to one another, I don't need you. You can't do it. You're all, you're, you're independent, but you're to mutually work together to help the body function. Number three, the diversity of spiritual gifts within the body of Christ are not to be sources of division, but to draw us all together in mutual care for one another. Man, oh man, like the, we have the, we're, in, we're in separate denominations over this issue. That was not Paul's intention. Such, there should be no such thing as a Pentecostal Church of God and a Baptist Church of God and a Free Methodist Church of God and for spiritual gifts. It was never his intention. But we fail to understand the things that Paul is talking about and we split down the middle because we don't know the Bible the way Paul intended it to be read and understood. Four. The church ought to be so united as a body of believers that when one member suffers or is honored, what is felt by one is felt by all. (laughs) Happiness shared is happiness doubled, and misery shared is misery halved. And finally, God is the source of all the spiritual gifts present in the church family. It's a five times repeated theme. He's the source. And they're to build up the body of Christ. So let me just say this. This is important then. Because he, he talks about the unification of the body and one spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, that is when you become part of the body of Christ. Once you become part of the body of Christ, that is when you're imparted spiritual gifts. So therefore, spiritual gifts can't be given to unbelievers. When you enter the body of Christ, you enter the body of Christ by receiving the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, he gives you as the Christian the spiritual gifts for the common good. If an unbeliever is in the world and receives a spiritual gift, who's that for? Not the church body. Christ's body is not getting edified. You have to receive the Spirit to be given a spiritual gift. Make sense? Verses 12 to 14 make this clear. We'll get into dialogue now, so, yeah. 